Well, church, it's good to be back with you uh, today. Uh, last week, Pastor Stephanie and I um, were in Mexico for our, uh, it was a 10-year 10, 10 anniversary trip, but it didn't happen on the 10-year, it happened on the 11th year because we had this thing called a baby, right? <laughs> His name is Jack, right? Uh, but we uh, had the opportunity uh, to, to uh, we didn't lay on the beach much because Stephanie just doesn't sit very often, but we did uh, a lot of things. We had the opportunity to sweat a lot. Like you think I sweat here? You should see me in the jungle in Mexico. Uh, and we had the opportunity to read a lot. Uh, and so that was really fun. Uh, and I read a couple things that really solidified uh, some thinking that, that I've been, uh, some things I've been thinking about for, for a long time. Uh, and, and they came through different examples. And so uh, one of those examples um, was uh, about a, a terrorist attack in, in one of my books, a terrorist attack that happened in, 2000, um, in, a, in 2008. Um, in, in Mumbai, um, which killed over 160 people, um, and it were terrorists that uh, decided to get automatic weapons um, and and come into Mumbai and um, and just kill people. Uh, that's what that's what their their plan was. That's what they did. Um, but one of the places that they that they that they went to um, was the the Taj Mahal um, Motel in Mumbai. Um, and I think I have a picture here. Um, when I started to read this, this is exactly what came in to my mind, but it was at night. Like all the stories, I guess I saw it late and it was at night. Um, but they, they came into this hotel um, and they took up residence in this place um, and they did what terrorists do and, and, and just horrible, horrible things. Uh, and, uh, and 160 people uh, died and 31 of those people died in that hotel. Um, and it was just a horrible thing. And usually um, the day after, uh, there's all this, uh, this talk about why, why did the terrorists do this and, and different things. But this, uh, this time, um, there were incredible stories um, that, that started to surface, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And they, it weren't stories about like a Rambo-like figure that rushed into the building and saved the day. Um, they, they weren't stories, even stories about necessarily uh, first responders or, or the police or the military or anything like that. They were stories, uh, one after the other after the other, about everyday, ordinary, um, lower-wage hotel workers. Stories begin to surface uh, again and again about these normal hotel workers. You see, in this building, 31 people died, um, but, but uh, other than the 31 people, hotel workers helped 1,200 to 1,500 of those people that were there escape. So out of, out of all the people that were present in this hotel, uh, only 31 uh, people died. 11 of those people were actually employees uh, of the hotel. But these, these 1,500 people that escaped with their lives, they just couldn't keep quiet about the hotel workers that helped save them. They, they, they again and again said that they were overwhelmed by the ways in which the employees uh, had incredible uh, dedication and their desire to protect the guests without regard to their own life. There are stories of, of the restaurant and the banquet staff, how they rushed people to safe locations and, and kitchens and basements, how, how the telephone operator just simply reached over and locked the door and continued to call every room. And tell them to stay or to get out if they could. Uh, how how the, 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 um, the kitchen staff literally formed human shields 
to protect the guest of the hotel as they were making uh, evacuation uh, attempts. That these people, everyday ordinary hotel workers, uh, saved uh, 1,200 to 1,500 lives as they were in this hotel, a part of their, their, their day, a part of their work, a part of what they were a part of. And so logically, people begin to ask why. Like, why would an everyday normal hotel worker, why would, they, why would they do that much to help the guest of the hotel, right? Why would, why would they do this? Somebody found uh, the, the hotel, uh, the manual, and there was nothing about terrorist activities or this is what you should do when this happens or, or anything like that. that. That wasn't a part of it. Uh, they, they, they looked at their salaries. Was there, was there anything built in? Nope, there was nothing built in. Um, you get extra pay, hazard pay, if you help people live during terrorist situations. Like There was nothing like that. Why did these um, ordinary people, why did they help, uh, the, help the people uh, in this hotel? Well, they begin to look and they begin to notice and they begin to ask questions. And, and the Taj Mahal Hotel insists that its workers, all the time, normal, normal time, not terrorist situation time, that its workers always put the guest first. Like always, like not just like I'll get you a towel or we'll, we'll call you in the morning and then they always forget to call, right? Not, none of that business. They will always put the, the guests first, even if it's a detriment to the company. Every employee has, 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 has position and every employee has permission to do whatever it takes to help the, the, the guest have a nice stay at their hotel. Every single one of them is taught that this is something that we value. We don't just value the money that the guest gives. We value the person that the guest is, their life. And, and as I begin to read this, I, I begin to think about um, our core values and why we have them as we've been talking about them for the past couple of weeks. And I remembered that what we value what we value determines what we do. You hear that? What we value determines what we do. This idea of what we value determines what we do is fascinating when framed this way. In fact, it's really challenged me in the past couple of years and it's challenged us as a church to sit down and ask the question, what do we value? Because what we value is what we do. As we saw in the, in the, the hotel uh, situation, if it was a normal everyday ho- hotel where you just care about the, the people's money and you give them soaps and, and you, you, you kind of like do some situational uh, things to, to help them have a halfway nice say and then you, you just kick them out and then they just go on with their life. If it was like that, then I guarantee that the, the hotel workers just would have just ran, right? They, they would have been out. But it wasn't that, that huge of a leap to go from, from, from we value the customer, we, we not only value their money, but we value their lives to, from that place. And that was something that was instilled in them and everything that they did to, to being a human shield for the people that we value. What we value determines what 
we do. And so we have these uh, five uh, core values within the church that we uh, sat down and prayed about and dreamed about with, with our church board. I think I have a picture uh, for you there. Uh, things that we've been talking about these, these past couple uh, of weeks, uh, things that we really value that we say, if you've uh, been a part of this church for, for a year or five years or whatever, we want to help instill these values into us as the body of Christ, as the followers of uh, of Jesus, what we value determines what we do right here and right now in, in Mountain Home, Idaho. And so today our, our our core value is this, we gather and we scatter. It's a simple statement, we gather and we scatter. We value the gathering of the church and the scattering of the church. We gather to be shaped by God, and then we scatter out to our unique places and spaces in the world to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We gather and we scatter. Week after week after week, we gather and we scatter. So when we think about the church in uh, this gathering and scattering, this, this breathing in of God and this sending out of God, we, we automatically go to, to Acts, the, the birthday of the church. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, turn to the book of Acts and we'll be uh, in many different places, but eventually we'll end up in Acts chapter 8 this morning. If you don't have your Bibles with you, no worries, it'll be on the screen uh, here um, in a little bit, but we, we, we look at this church in Acts, and we think about, uh, you know, the Acts, cha- Acts chapter 2 church where the Holy Spirit comes down on them, that they are empowered, that they are, that they are given uh, power by God in this place, and, and they do some incredible things um, as, as, a, as a body, as a church body. Um, we think about um, the idea how all the, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Uh, they sold their stuff to give to everyone in need, and, and every single day they grew. And they grew and they grew and, and people began to, to, to know Jesus through uh, this church empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we ask the question, every, every time I read this, I ask the question, how did they lean into this life that God has called them to, this life of generosity, this life of, of self-sacrifice? How did they lean into this? in God's love when they when they started to gain momentum and numbers right like, it's pretty easy like if, if I've got five people that I really love it's pretty easy to lean into that and and I'll do some uh, incredible things for for you and you'll do things for me and we and we have this kind of uh, community but what's it take for 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 this to happen when they get to five thousand? or 10,000, or, or 100,000 uh, people. How uh, they met in the temple to celebrate and, and to worship, and then they, then they each had their own small groups, right? You should be in a life group, right? This is what it says. And they had each small groups, and they, and they lived life together. But I imagine that things were pretty comfortable for a while, Right? Things were, were, were pretty amazing for, for, for a long time, but they, they, were, they, were pretty, they were pretty comfortable. You know, sure, people didn't like Jesus believers. They didn't like Jesus followers. There's some, there's some persecution. In fact, they, they did kill Jesus, and so it's pretty dangerous. But they, they didn't like this. I'm sure that they dealt with this on a regular basis. 
But other than that, like things were things were good. They worshipped together in these large groups, and there was there there was this feeling that they were part of something bigger than themselves. And and then everybody had their small group where they could they could interact on a personal level, and, and new people were believing. And every single day, somebody else came. People were being absolutely transformed by the Holy Spirit. The, the, those who were greedy within the group were learning what it means to be generous. And those who were needy within the group were learning what it means to, to have people care. They were being shaped by, by, by God in, in, these, in these moments. And, and believers were every there. Everything was good. Everything was, was awesome. Remember the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Jesus says this. It's on the screen for you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what, that's what started it all. They, they go and they wait and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now they have the Holy Spirit and now they're to, to go out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and as you watch and you get to chapter 2 and you, you go to chapter 3 and you go to chapter 4 and you go to chapter 5 and you go to chapter 6 and you go to chapter 7, you go to chapter 8, we're still in, we're in chapter 8 and they're still where? Still in Jerusalem. They haven't, they haven't gone anywhere. They haven't, they haven't done what, what, what Jesus says they were going to do yet. They're, they're in chapter 8, and we find the tendency of the church. The tendency of the church is to stay put and to stay comfortable. We have a tendency to huddle together and, and to not move. We, we love the church, and when God is moving us forward as a church, we feel comfortable, and, it, and it's, a good, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's an awesome thing. But we see our tendency to huddle together and to not move. I remember when this shift happened for me uh, in my life where I learned to love my church. I, I've told you stories about when I was a kid. I absolutely hated church. Like, I hated it. It was the worst thing. I would fake throw up in the toilet so mom wouldn't make me go to church. And it worked a couple times, right? It worked, it worked a couple times. She's a, she was a smart lady, right? But I, I, I didn't like going to church. It was, there was, it was just not good. It was not good for me. I didn't, that wasn't a, a thing for me. I, did, I just didn't enjoy it. I'd much rather be playing Nintendo on Sunday morning. I didn't want to go to church. But God led me to a place where I began to love my church. I, I remember being like promoted or graduated to, to youth group. And I became a, a part of this, this youth group. And I started to learn new things. And, and stuff was interesting. And it was exciting. And I, and I would come every week. And, and, it, and it helped a lot that there were girls there, right? <laughs> And I, and I started to, to get involved, and I started to, to do things. And, and before you knew it, I, I loved my church. Like, I remember uh, not wanting to leave, like sitting in the parking lot, not wanting to leave, right? Sitting in the, in the potluck, not wanting to leave. No surprise for anyone. Just not wanting to leave uh, this church. And so I began uh, to, to, to be uh, involved. My mom was the, uh, the church uh, um, uh, custodian. So every week, 
without pay. I guess you're a kid. You do what your mom tells you. But every week I'd come and help the, help the church and clean the church. And then I became um, the sign boy. Like our church had like a sign with like the old school letters. And I was the one that made those goofy, goofy statements, the goofy quotes on the church sign. And so uh, every week I'd come and climb the ladder and I'd get my book out and I'd find a, 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 a quote, a goofy quote to put on the sign. And, and I became a part of that. And then I, then I, was, I became a part of the church board because I, I loved my church. I would do anything for my church. And, and, I, and I didn't know how I got from that place of hating church to, to now loving church. I wasn't on my radar. All I knew is that God uh, brought in me and allowed me to love my church. The church became my tribe. The church became my people, and not just teenage people. Old people, too. Even some very, very strange people, right? They, they, they became my people. I, I loved them, and I knew that they, that they loved me. When we gather together as the church, when we gather together in worship, in the church building, and in our homes, God breathes us in, and it is good, right? God breathes us in, and it is good. It's a reminder that we are part of something that is bigger than ourselves, but as good as it is, we must always remember that we are a church that is also sent. We are a people that are sent into the world. We are not called to huddle in our church and never interact with outsiders, so to speak. We are a people that, 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 that is sent. In fact, we never, as a church, we never want to keep you so busy that you have no time to love your neighbor. We never want to keep you so busy that you have no time to love your neighbor because we are a sent church. We look back at the book of Acts and we ask, what pushed them? Because we obviously know that the church was pushed to, to break out of Jerusalem and to spread the gospel of Jesus to other places. We know that because we are here talking about the gospel of Jesus. And so what pushed them to, to get out of Jerusalem, what pushed them to spread the gospel of Jesus to these other places and spaces, what was it? Did they have like a great motivational speaker? Did they like, uh, like come to new some new revelation? What pushed them out of this city? What got them moving? Well, if you look in the book of Acts, you recognize that what got them moving was Stephen. Now, Stephen didn't get them moving because he was a great preacher and he motivated them to, to get up out of their church pews and to go places. Stephen got them moving because Stephen was killed. Stephen got them moving because Stephen was stoned to death. They moved in the sense that, that they were going to be killed too. Stephen's life was, was the tipping point for the church to, to break out and to become missionaries. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Acts chapter 8 today, starting in verse 1, and we will read this account of God's church being sent. It says this, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him, who was Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles 
were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he had said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. I love how the the message translates verse uh, 3 of this chapter. It says, And Saul just went wild devastating the church, entering house after house, dragging men and women off to jail, forced to leave home base. The followers of Jesus became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. I can't help but to think, there's many things that I think when I read these these verses, but I can't help uh, to, but to thank to look at our our, our, our current cultural situation and, and the past uh, uh, couple of years have been very very interesting. It's interesting that, that today it seems like the, the broader Christian community at any any drop of discrimination isn't even discrimination any drop or any questioning by by the broader culture. Uh, on the church and uh, from society uh, makes us do the exact opposite of what I read here. When, when something happens, whether it's the Ten Commandments on the, on the courthouse or the war on Christmas, remember the Starbucks cup ordeal, right? Like, uh, or prayer in schools or evolution or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you name it. Rather than leaving home base, Rather than leaving home base and becoming missionaries, it seems that we are coached up to become gatekeepers and, and, and offered and invited to stay at home base, ready to fight for our right to party. Right? It's the opposite. Here, here we have in this, in this passage, I just don't understand, we have an account of people, uh, the people of God being dragged from their homes and placed in prison, and the church is scattered. They're not scattered to regroup so they can fight or protest or start a Facebook campaign. They're not scattered in the, from the church, and rather than, than, than building walls or annoying everybody about God's green earth, about coffee cups, They are preaching the gospel where they go. They don't just stay and huddle down and and fight. But they they give of themselves. They put themselves in danger. They move and they are out proclaiming the gospel. And incredible things happen. They are going and doing what the Holy Spirit is calling them to do. And it's really quite beautiful. It's as if they, they fall into their sentness, right? They fall into this. This is not something that some uh, architect or engineer dreamed up. This is not some plan of action. They fall into their sentness. They fall into what they're called to do. I imagine as, as groups of them or even couples of them, as, they, as they're running for their lives, they, they realize as they're running their, for their lives, they realize that, that they were made for this. 
Like they've been prepared for this, that this sentness, that this scattering, this looks good on us. That this is what the apostles have been teaching about uh, and teaching us day after day. This is why we had all that time together to learn how to love one another. Like I knew I learned how to care for my brothers and sisters for a bigger purpose. That I've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to be selfless, to give my life away. I knew I spent all those hours talking about the story of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for a reason. And this is it. The apostles weren't lying. We are a sent people. You know, the disciples, they told us about how Jesus appeared to them after three days and being dead in the tomb and, and then let them know that God the Father had, had sent him and now he was sending us, the church, into the world. That we weren't meant to stay huddled forever. But it was time to make a play. We are gathered together and we are scattered in the name of Jesus. It's the same way with us at Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene. We gather in the name of Jesus in this place and even in our homes week after week to worship together with, with one voice. We gather to be taught and to be stretched by the Holy Spirit. We gather to be shaped as God's people to learn to love and to be loved. We gather to find tangible expressions of God's love in one another. And for many of us, myself included, God has used his people to help us find comfort and healing and belonging without a doubt. We could go on and on and on with this list. We gather to be reminded that Jesus is Lord and we are not. We gather for, uh, for all of these reasons, not so that we can be comfortable, not so that we can stay, but God has a bigger purpose for us. To, to quote our friend Brent Peterson, we know him, he says this in his book, what happens in communal worship in places like this, in spaces like this, shapes how we, the people, live in the world. This gathering really, really matters. Now, I understand you couldn't have told me that when I was a young boy attempting to throw up in the toilet. But now, as an old man, it really, really matters. Part of the reason that it really, really matters is because we can't stay in this place forever, that we're going to be called and scattered to go out into a, a scary, broken world. And here in a few minutes, in, in a few minutes, I'm going to nicely, very nicely, kick you out, right? And I'm going to say, go, go in action and go in peace and, and, and let's go. Let's move. We're going to go eat Taco John's for lunch, right? It's a good idea. We gather so that we can be better equipped to participate in what God is doing in this world because participation in the mission of God is the vocation of the Jesus followers. Participation in the mission of God is the vocation of the Jesus followers. This is what we were made for. This is what God is preparing us for. 
Not so that we can have a uh, just have a nice church family, but we can so we can tell people and show people and interact with people, and that they might know that Jesus is Lord of their lives too. I, I like to think about it this way. I've had some opportunities to travel into some pretty cool airports around the world. Maybe you have too. And there's some awesome airports, and airports kind of have their own flavor of things, right? So, like, you can go to the Portland airport, and you can drink, like, trendy hipster coffee that my wife loves and listen to live music, right? Did you know that? You can go there, and that's, that's their thing. That's their fil- flavor. Or you can go to the Las Vegas airport, and you don't even have to leave to lose all your money. Right? There are slot machines everywhere. That's their thing. That's their flavor. Or now, if you ever have the opportunity, you can go to Kansas City Airport, and you can eat real barbecue right? in the airport. Not some fake, fake chain barbecue like Dickie's. Right now, like real Kansas City barbecue, and you can you can get your own Wizard of Oz T-shirt. Right, beautiful Kansas City. Right? They have all these flavors, all these different things, these things that, that 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 they offer. But imagine for a second that an airport tried their best to keep you there. Would you do it? Right? They tried their best to, to make you come back a week after week. or They, they, they tried their best to, 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 to we're going to have apartments in the airport, and you can eat Kansas City barbecue every day, or you can drink uh, trendy hipster coffee every day, and you can listen to live music every day. Would you stay in the airport? Let me answer that for you. No. <laughs> right? That's not what an airport was made for. Airports are not destinations. Airports are gathering and sending places. That's what they do. That's how they, how they function. And it's the same with the church. We gather and worship to be equipped, to be healed, to be shaped, to be loved, and to people that God desires us to be. And, and we want to naturally move from this place as people of God because we are scattered people. We are sent people. We are scattered and sent into the world of brokenness in the name of Jesus to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are scattered to preach the good news of Jesus with our words and with our lives. We are scattered to give our lives away so that others might know him. We're scattered to build bridges and not walls. We're scattered to express the radical hospitality and love that Jesus has shown us. And hear this, even in times of persecution and danger, especially in times of persecution and danger, especially in times of chaos, we are scattered to to model the love of our Savior. The same love that, that, that Jesus has modeled to us. And let me remind you what that looks like this morning. It looks like this, right? It doesn't look like this. It looks like this. It doesn't look like this. It looks like this. We're scattered for for a purpose. We're scattered for a reason. That is who we are. We go not in a posture of fear or self-preservation, but we go knowing that God's perfect love cast out all fear. So in just a couple moments, I'm going to say, go, get out of here, 
Go to the unique places and spaces that God has, has created you for and called you to. Places and spaces that only you can go to. Places and spaces that only you have a voice in. Like some of you like literally have security clearance. I will never go there, right? Nobody around you will ever go there. Some of you work in places that I will never visit. And you know people that I will never even see. God has, has placed us in specific places and spaces for a reason. Do we scatter out in this big world alone, making stuff happen on our own? No, absolutely not. We go in the confidence knowing that God is always at work. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is no cold calling in the vocation as Jesus followers. God in his provenient grace that goes before, and God in his, his leading in all people's life, God's work in everyone's life is evident. And it happens every single day. God is leading all people to himself. The best people that you know, and even the worst people that you know. There is no place that you will go that God has not already been and not already is. We are people who gather and scatter. We gather together to be shaped by God, and then we scatter out to our unique places and spaces in life to make Jesus known. Let's uh, continue in worship and respond in worship today. But we ask you these questions while you're responding and while you're uh, listening this morning. Questions that I've asked myself this week and, and that I'll ask you. How is God calling you to embracing the gathering aspect of the church? What might you do to be a part of the body of Christ here and now? And then also, don't forget, how is God calling you to scatter? Where might you go? Because God has called you to go. I pray this morning. Lord, we thank you. And we thank you for your love and we thank you uh, for the ways in which uh, you love us and you love the world. Lord, may you help us to value the gathering of your people, uh, the places and spaces in which we find um, people that love us, a wholeness, a people that uh, desire the best for us, a place and a space where we are challenged, um, where we are, are called to remember that you are Lord and we are not. But Lord, help us to also value um, the vocation that you've called us to, a people that are sent. Um, Lord, help us to uh, recognize that it's not just about huddling on, on Sunday morning or, or in our small group, but you have called us to go in your name, to go in action and go in peace. Lord, may you uh, call us uh, to uh, further investigate what this might mean for our lives. Holy Spirit, would you make it clear uh, on how you desire for us to uh, invest in the gathering of the church and how you desire for us to go in the scattering. Oh, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we conclude in worship this morning.
Amen. Would you extend your hands to receive the benediction today? May we remember uh, the, the verse from our passage today. Forced to leave home base, the followers of Jesus all became missionaries. May you go in action and you go in peace. You are dismissed. I was going like that. I was like... Yeah. I still know that you